Hey, North Point, we are so glad that you're here with us today for today's service on December 27th. It's the end of the year, and the message today is I'm over it. Uh, Jake Howard is sharing with us today, and that's going to be really cool. We're going to get there in just a little bit, have a chance for you to sing if you'd like to do that at the end of the message as well. Uh, it's been an incredible year, 2020, and uh, what better way to end it than to be together as the body of Christ. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, if you would, we would love to know that you're that you're connecting with us today. If you could take out the North Point app and open that up and go to the Let's Connect page and fill that out and check off the box that says you're watching online, that would be perfect. That would help us a ton, and it would uh, allow us to make sure that, that uh, you know what's going on in, at North Point. If you don't have the North Point app, if you could send a text to 94090-94090 that says Guest NCC, and we'll send you a link, and you can do that as well. It is the end of the year, and that means that there's some cool things going on. Uh, today at church, we've got a blood drive going on, trying to make a difference in the community, give back to the community in a cool way. Uh, you, if you've got flexibility and you're watching this morning and want to join us for that, that would be great. Um, we had an incredible week with Christmas in Coronaville Light Show and with our Christmas Eve, our virtual Christmas Eve service. We hope you were a part of that. And uh, we're so grateful to everybody who volunteered, who, who made that possible. Um, we're gonna, I want to encourage you to, to take some time to give. It's the end of the year, and God gave his son for us. I want to encourage you to give back to him financially in, our, in your normal offering. That would be great. You can send a text to 77977 uh, that says NCC Give uh, to give electronically. That would, be, that would be a perfect thing to do. And I also want to challenge you, uh, again, it's the end of the year. It's a time that everybody looks at kind of where they are for the year. It takes inventory of, of a lot of things. We have a special offering, end of the year offering that we do that goes completely outside of North Point. None of it stays with us. It goes to make a difference in the community and around the world. This year's, this year's end of the year offering, Christmas offering, is no different. And I'd, I'd encourage you to give to that offering over and above what you give to the regular offering as well. You can do that the exact same way. If you go to 77977 and, uh, and, and uh, text NCC Give, and then just go down to the scroll down uh, uh, item that's there and, and where it says Christmas offering, if you mark that, that's where you can give that end-of-the-year offering. God's blessed us so much, and uh, we, uh, we're grateful for the way that he's taking care of us. What better way to end the year than to give back? Hey, before the message starts, uh, we want to just show a little bit of footage from Christmas in Coronaville. If you weren't able to be here, we hope that you'll enjoy this snippet before Jake comes with the message, I'm so over it. Right, hey North Point, how's everybody doing today? Everybody have a good Christmas, 
right? Good Christmas in spite of kind of a crazy year for Christmas. Hopefully you guys got to join in uh, on that light experience and join us online for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, I know that this past week has been a crazy one for me. I got to celebrate my two-year-old's birthday. We had, yeah, right? She's adorable. All right, got to do that. Uh, we had the lights. We had Christmas. I had a ton of things that I needed to get done. So it wound up just being an incredibly crazy week for me. But as I thought about it, I mean, that's kind of just like par for the course for 2020, right? Like this has been a crazy insane year for all of us. And if I can just be honest, guys, I'm over it. (laughs) Like I am over it when it comes to this year. Everybody has had a dumpster fire year in some capacity and it has been tough. I mean, stop and think about everything that's happened here. Uh, We had Australian bushfires I forgot about those. Uh, We had uh, COVID-19 that hit Wuhan. We had uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle leave the royal family. (gasps) Who cares, right? All right, anyway, uh, Kobe Bryant and some others died in a helicopter crash. Brexit finally happened. Toilet paper just goes MIA. Homeschooling across America begins. Tiger King appears on Netflix. Uh, Kim Jong-un is dead and then alive again somehow. Uh, There's an impeachment trial for uh, President Trump. That happened, the stock market plummeted, Black Lives Matter protests, businesses closed for the pandemic, everybody spends more and more time on social media, social distancing and masks everywhere, murder hornets appear, what happened to those guys, right, they just went in the world there, Twitter hack for Bitcoin, Beirut explosion, West Coast wildfires, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies and a new justice is appointed. Millions are infected. Hundreds of thousands of people die. Even the president himself tests positive for COVID-19. There's a bitter, controversial, and drawn-out presidential election in only four more days until 2021. Oh, yeah, we can take that, right? Come on. See, here's the thing. At some point in the midst of all of this craziness that has happened this past year, you have probably thought to yourself... I'm over it. (laughs) Like I'm throwing in every towel out of my closet. I'm thinking sweatpants and Netflix for life kind of mentality. Wake me up when it's all over. I get it. I feel it. It has been exhausting. And at some point in time, all of us have lost. We've lost loved ones. We've lost jobs. We've lost respect. We've lost security. We've lost hope. We lost motivation. We lost compassion. And truthfully, we feel like we lost a year of our own lives. What are we supposed to do with that? How do we move into another year with the uncertainty that all this madness may just creep into 2021 as well? In fact, what was the point of all of this? What do we do with all of these ridiculous, painful, and frustrating experiences that we've all had? See, I honestly think there's no place to look better to find out what we're to do next or how to, how to respond from a crazy year than really just by diving into the Bible because it is littered with ridiculous, painful, and frustrating experiences. In fact, one of my favorite people from the Bible is a guy who continuously had crazy experience after crazy experience where ridiculous things just kept happening to him at little or no fault to his own self. And today I just want to kind of skim through his life. So if you have your Bible, you have the North Point app, pop that open here. Uh, We're going to jump into the book of Genesis and we're going to kind of skim through the life of Joseph together this morning. Now I know we just got done with Christmas, but this not that Joseph. Okay, different Joseph here, not the stepfather of Jesus. This is a Joseph way back in the Old Testament uh, before Israel was even a nation. 
See, when we read through the Old Testament, we recognize that God wanted to raise up a people group. And so he told Abraham, hey, out of your family, I'm going to raise up a chosen people. And then Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had tons of sons, including our guy, Joseph. And God uses Joseph to do some incredible things. But the journey for Joseph to get there, man, it was full of struggle. It was full of pain. It was full of frustration. It was full of change. The only thing missing out of Joseph's story is murder hornets, all right? So he's got everything else going on. So we're just going to jump around his life today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 37. It says this. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So Joseph is the youngest and the favorite. And I get it. I'm the youngest in my family. The favorite is a natural thing for us today, right? I got any other youngest siblings here. We know it, right? They're jealous. It's okay, right? Here's what's weird about this point in time. It was not common for it to be the youngest. In fact, the, the younger you were, like the less important you'd become. It was always the oldest son who was the most important. He was going to be the future patriarch. So for Jacob to be choosing his youngest son to be his favorite, even though the oldest son was going to be the future patriarch, was incredibly weird. And we see that Joseph is different from his brothers. It tells us here that he brings a bad report about his brothers to his dad. And what does that do? Right? Naturally, it just kind of alienates Joseph from his brothers. It just kind of pushes this gap into a relationship with him. But it also reveals to us that Joseph is actually more righteous than his brothers, that he's different than those guys. Verse 5 says, Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So God gives Joseph these dreams. They're like, like premonitions. They're giving him this idea of what's to come. What is Joseph's life going to look like? What's about to happen for him? And these ones show Joseph leading. They show him ruling. They show him to be special in his family, which really only alienates him more when he shares this with his brothers. They, they hate him more because of, it, because of it, even though he's right. Even though God has given and told, him to, told this to him, his brothers still hate him for and a lot of times when people read this, they want to think that Joseph is just some arrogant little kid. I don't think Joseph was arrogant. I actually think he was really naive. I think he was just a young kid who didn't understand the effect of how things were working in the world or what it would do to other people. And so he constantly did and made these young guy mistakes again and again early on here. But here's why this matters and why I think God gave these dreams to Joseph early in his life. They showed Joseph 
the end. Joseph knew from this moment on that no matter what happened in his life, that it got better and that God was in control. And when we know that that's our end, that's a powerful way to be able to live our lives. Look at verse 12. It says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, uh, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Uh, Joseph is given this task and says, Hey, your brothers have been out there for a while uh, doing what they need to do, pasturing the flock, taking care of stuff. Go check on them, see how things are going, and come back and tell me. And when Joseph gets there, he recognizes that they're not doing their job, that they're not where they're supposed to be. They've not taken their responsibilities seriously. They've actually gone to another town to do whatever fun things they could find in that town and to avoid the work that they're supposed to be doing. And naive Joseph just keeps on looking and keeps on searching for him here. Verse 18 here. So they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben, who's the oldest brother, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So the brothers see Joseph come in. They're tired of it. They're exhausted. They hate him. They don't want anything else to do with him. And so they figure, you know, let's just kill this guy. Let's just get rid of this problem. Reuben, the oldest brother, persuades them, hey, don't kill him, just toss him in uh, to this hole here. Uh, I don't know if Reuben was really a nice guy. Like, he was already dodging work. He was with his brothers, doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing. My guess is Reuben was going to try and leverage the situation to get back in dad's good graces. Like, he sees an opportunity here that he can, he can really get things for himself. Verse 25 says, Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, our, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When the oldest brother Reuben returns to the pit and saw that Joseph wasn't in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They then sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. 
Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So the brothers have a crime of opportunity here. They have literally sold their brother into slavery. Like at some point in time, if you have siblings, you've been annoyed with your sibling, right? Like they've done something that you're tired of. You don't want to be around them. You've had enough of it. But at no point in time did you like go to school and like sell your brother for more lunch money, right? Like none of that ever happened to any of us, I'm hoping, right? But that's what kind of happens here. Slave trade was huge in this area. And so they decided to just remove their problem and then cover it up. So now Joseph is no longer a free man. Instead, he is property of Potiphar. See, it's kind of an understatement to say that Joseph has family issues going on in his life. They hated him. They hated that their dad liked him. They hated that he didn't do what they did, like dodge work. They hated that he had dreams about being special. So they literally sold their brother off. So you've, you've got people in your life that don't agree with you. People that don't think like you. People that have probably put you into a little box. People that have talked nasty to or about you. People that have sold you off. It's been that kind of year for relationships, right? Like, thanks, pandemic. Thanks, election season. Thanks, social media, right? It's been that kind of year for relationships. Joseph probably thought at some point in time, like, man, I'm over it. These people are dead to me. I don't need family. I don't need people. They're all wrong anyways. They've done me wrong. See ya. I'm out. I'm over it. I'm over these guys. And some of us have said that to ourselves this year about the people in our lives. Somebody we know has been vocal about their beliefs or our beliefs when it comes to things like the virus or masks or vaccine or voting or candidates or Black Lives Matter or court justices or state mandates or how things should be opened or how things should be closed. In fact, some people have been so vocal and so hurtful and so in your face that it's going to be another 20 years before a child is named Karen ever again, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What happened to Joseph here was terrible and not really his fault. It's the result of disagreement, of envy, of hate, of injustice from others in his life. But it happened nonetheless. While it would have been easy to just toss up his hands and yell, I'm over it, I'm over it. God wasn't done with Joseph yet, and he still has a dream to come true. Check out chapter 39. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. In spite of everything that's happened to Joseph, in spite of being wrong, in spite of being a slave, Joseph continues to press on and God uses Joseph to have great influence. See, Joseph was a slave, but he was the best slave that he could be. 
See, when we encounter hardship in our life, it can do two things. It can build character and it can reveal character. Hardship can build character and it can reveal character. We notice both of these things in Joseph. The kind of person that Joseph is is only highlighted in trouble and the experiences that he goes through only grow him into an even more God-fearing individual. So what has 2020 revealed about you? If you looked at your reactions when things like fear come your way, when financial trouble shows up, when loud opinions are voiced, and when this entire thing lasted way longer than we ever expected, what does it reveal about you? What did 2020 show that you cared about most? What did 2020 show was inside of you? In fact, what what did this last year change about you? And, And I don't just mean like, I will always keep a 20-pack of toilet paper in my basement kind of change, right? But like, what is it about your perspective and your values in life? How has your view of God and your relationship with Jesus been impacted by hard or uncomfortable times? And did, you, did you grab onto Jesus, maybe with uncertainty in the situation, but trust in his power anyway? Or when our routines changed, so did our priorities, and, and God just didn't make that list as often anymore. Keep on reading here. It says in the second part, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. See, here's that character popping up in Joseph's life again. Joseph valued the master's in his life. He wouldn't betray the man in whose house he worked. And the guy that he worked with, he valued that relationship too much to hurt it. Yet when this issue pops up in his life, he sees it more as an affront to God. Joseph said not only would he not do this to Potiphar, but even more so, there was no way he was going to do this to God. Joseph recognized that the most important relationship in his life was the one that he had with God. And this offense would first be to God. It wasn't about consequences. It wasn't about getting caught. It was about the recognition that Joseph's relationship with God, his creator, mattered most. And nothing was worth damaging that. And then on top of that, damaging his relationship with other people as well. Verse 11 says, But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to, uh, came in to me to laugh at me. 
But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him, put him in a prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. See, here's the crazy thing about this story to me. Joseph did the right thing. And it still fell on top of him. He's lied about. His reputation, his character are drugged through the mud. He is canceled out by everyone around him because of a false accusation. All of the people who saw saw this woman proposition Joseph again and again. And not a single one of them stood up for Joseph. She claimed to cry out, but who heard her cry out? There's not a single shred of good evidence that goes against Joseph's side of the story. He had a spotless reputation beforehand, so much so that he was entrusted with everything, and it still didn't matter. Joseph is again sold off. He finds himself in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. See, life is not fair. Nobody asked to get sick this year. Nobody asked to watch from a window as a loved one passed away. Nobody asked to lose their business or their job. Nobody asked to become a virtual assistant for their child's education. Nobody asked to cancel their vacations and family gatherings. Nobody asked for any of it. And yet it happened. And it's not fair. See, maybe you find yourself tossed into a prison of pain or emotion or heartache or ruin or whatever else, and it's not fair because you know what? You did your best. You worked hard. You took it seriously. You played by the rules. You tried to be flexible. It didn't matter. Where are you, God? Why, God? I'm over it, God. I got to imagine that's been a really popular prayer this year. In fact, when I read about Joseph, I expect this moment to be the last straw. He's been sold off twice. Why in the world would God raise him up in Potiphar's house just to have him knocked down a second time? Why is God being so cruel? Joseph has got to be over it at this point in time. Verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You begin to notice the pattern in Joseph's life here. Unjust punishment and pain come his way, and yet God is still in it. In fact, Joseph finds success in the midst of hardship because God is not done working. God promised Joseph that he would be raised up in the end. So when Joseph is a slave, he's the best slave. And when Joseph is a prisoner, he's the best prisoner. We continue to read on here uh, in verse 40. We see the story of of a a cupbearer and a baker both royalty from from Pharaoh, and they have these dreams that really bother them. And and word gets to Joseph about it. And Joseph says, hey, you know what? God can interpret dreams. Is there any way I can help? And and so they begin to tell their dreams to Joseph. And the cupbearer says, hey, I saw this great vine uh, with three branches bearing grapes. And I squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave it to Pharaoh. 
And the royal baker says, I had these three baskets of, of bread, of grain on my head, and birds kept coming in and eating it out of there. And Joseph interprets the dreams, and he tells them, hey, the cupbearer, you are going to be restored in three days back to your position with Pharaoh. And the baker, in three days, you are going to be uh, killed. Sorry. <laughs> It happens. Uh, and so what happens is he tells him all of these things. Joseph then asked the cupbearer, he says, hey, remember me when you get back to your place of influence. Remember who I am. Remember what God is able to do through me. Verse 40 goes on. It says, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his services. servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Our guy can't catch a break. (laughs) Opportunity lost again. Joseph steps in when these two guys are having trouble to help. He helps them to understand the reality of where they are. Hope for one and a sad truth for another. I mean, imagine being the cupbearer and you're given hope that your life is about to be restored and then it happens. What I want to know is how does the cupbearer forget Joseph? Like this had to be a monumental moment in this guy's life and yet he is so focused on himself that he completely forgets about Joseph. It seems like every time things begin to look up for Joseph, somebody or something happens and it just drops him down again. Have you ever been in that moment? Have you ever felt like you've been left behind? You've been left out on your own? Have you ever had a friend or a family member that you supported, that you stuck by, that you encouraged, that you gave to, and then when times got tough for you, they were nowhere to be found? I'm over it. I don't need anybody. I don't want help. I'll look out for me, but I'm done with those people. You ever feel that way? See, I know some of you guys have felt betrayed. You felt abandoned when you needed help. You felt very, very alone. You need to hear this this morning. You are not alone. Rick spoke last week uh, when we celebrated Emmanuel, literally meaning God with us. That God does not abandon those that he loves. In fact, he steps into the brokenness that is our lives and restores it to something more beautiful than before. And he does that with Joseph here as well. Chapter 41 says, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. No idea what an attractive cow looks like. (laughs) And they fed in the reed grass and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second dream. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Two years 
have passed since the cupbearer and Joseph had their interaction. And Pharaoh now has these back-to-back dreams and he recognizes this is not a coincidence. And so he tries to get people to help him figure out and they can't. And at that moment, what happens is the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, I kind of know a guy, right? Like, hey, remember when you were mad at me, you threw me in prison? I met a guy, he told me I'd get out. Sure enough, it happened. Maybe we call him, right? So Joseph is summoned to Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh this dream about the seven, Pharaoh tells him about the seven healthy cows and the seven sick cows and the seven healthy grains and the seven sick grains. And Joseph interprets the dream to tell Pharaoh that, hey, God is gonna send seven wonderful, great, productive years in the land. And then he's gonna follow that up with seven horrible years of famine. And then Joseph actually lays out this plan and gives Pharaoh a plan of, hey, let's store up food and things during these seven years so that when the bad years come, we can all survive this famine. And when Joseph gives him this plan, man, Pharaoh jumps on board of Team Joseph. He makes him second in command in all of Egypt. He gives him a title. He gives him a wife. He gives him power. He gives him influence. And he gives him this job to save Egypt from the famine. Joseph is so successful and so planned out that he stores up what is needed during these seven good years that Egypt has plenty in the famine that they can even sell to others and make a profit during this hardship. So here's a lesson about opportunity and preparedness that we're not gonna get to that's in here today. But what's important to notice here is that it finally happens for Joseph. (laughs) Just like his dream at the beginning that alienated him from his family, Joseph is a ruler. The journey was incredibly hard. There was betrayal. There was unjust punishment. There was abandonment and accusations. Yet Joseph knew that God was in it. God had promised that he had a plan for Joseph and Joseph could hang on to that idea throughout all of the pain. See, where do you go when that pain kicks in? Do you numb it away? Do you get angry about it? Do you just run and hide from it? What if your pain, what if your entire 2020 had a purpose? What if when you lost your job, when you got sick, when you got hurt, when you got abandoned, when you got ridiculed, when you had everything that this last year had to offer, what if all of it had a purpose? See, while God used Joseph to save Egypt, he had a bigger and more redemptive plan all along. The next three chapters tell us that Joseph's family was actually hit by that same famine really, really hard. And then they found out that somebody in Egypt was selling grain. So they go down, Joseph's brothers go down to Egypt to buy grain from the man that they had sold off into slavery. And when they come near, Joseph actually recognizes them. And so he puts them through a series of tests to see what kind of men his brothers have become. They actually have another brother at this time that Joseph had never Met. And in one of his tests, these older brothers wind up putting their life on the line for this younger brother, which leads Joseph to this reaction and this big reveal in Genesis 45. It says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. They came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now 
do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these land two years, and there are still yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Look at this here. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. There's some serious emotions going on with Joseph's family here. Like reality TV wishes they had some cameras to capture this gold because there was some serious things happening here. And there's a couple of things that Joseph does that just stick out like crazy to me. The first one is, is Joseph's forgiveness. He told them not to be distressed or angry for selling him. Joseph's got every right to be mad, every right to want justice, every right to repay their evil deeds. Yet his forgiveness towards them is so large that he is telling them to forgive themselves. I don't hold it against you, and you shouldn't either. That is a pure and amazing forgiveness. Joseph never knew if he'd see his family again, never knew if he'd get to look his brothers in their eyes Yet it appears he never carried that burden with him either. I think this forgiveness for Joseph had to start a long time ago because the only way Joseph can tell these guys to forgive themselves is because he already had. And he's no longer carrying the weight of their injustice or betrayal or abandonment anymore. See, some of us have been hurt and we're still waiting on others to get theirs. When really all we're doing is drowning ourselves in the same hurt over and over again. In fact, when Jesus' closest followers asked him, how many times do we forgive other people? Jesus gave them an absurd number because he wanted them to begin to recognize that forgiveness does more for us than for those who caused the hurt because there is just not enough justice or repercussions or resolutions out there for our hurts. The only answer is forgiveness. Joseph got that. Second thing about Joseph that's so amazing is his perspective. First part of verse 8, he says, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. That being sold, being accused, being imprisoned, and being left behind all happened because of God, and it was right. See, it's easy to blame God when, when 2020 happens, when loss happens, when pain happens, when injustice happens, but it takes trust for that blame to be viewed as a good thing. Joseph blamed God, but he blamed God as an act of worship and all the junk that happened, all the pain that occurred, all the frustration, all the heartache, all because God was doing something amazing. See, Jesus is moving in your life. He has been all year long. You probably blamed him for some of the stuff that occurred or for not stopping some of the stuff from occurring. He let 2020 happen. He's not the reason that viruses or pain or death exist in this world. In fact, that, that's on us all the way back at the beginning of Genesis. But he is the reason that those things can still be used to glorify him, to draw others to him, to bring justice and forgiveness and joy and peace and so much more into this world. See, Joseph suffered and God used it to reveal his character and to build it up. Jesus promised to never leave us, but to use us for his kingdom work. And that one day he'd be back to rid this world full of pain and full of suffering. We can hold on to that promise 
2020 is, is just another part of the story. It's just another building block for God making his kingdom. So the question is, what are you going to take away from this past year that God can use to build his kingdom?